We had a couple of weeks breaks just due to logistics of being away. And now we are back in Haggai. Two more weeks and then we'll start an Advent series. Well, it's a wonderful passage today that has some, uh, a, a bit of work to do in the, uh, the law in Leviticus and Numbers. And then we, of course, see this, uh, this wonderful fulfillment in Christ. Uh, and I hope, if I can articulate it well enough, this will be a great encouragement. It's a wonderful uh, description of the gospel, of how Christ takes us from being unclean to holy like himself, which the sacrificial system could never do, but only for a moment take us from being unclean to clean and then back to unclean again. But that all makes sense as we get through it. So let's read Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 to 19. We'll hear the words of the living God. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. And if someone cries, carries, sorry, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with the fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered, the priests answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. So with every work of their hands and what they, they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you all, uh, I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider this day onward. Consider from this day onward. From the twenty-fourth day of the from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray and seek his counsel. Well, Sovereign Father, as we see from your word today, you are in control of all things. You determine the fruit of our hands by the labor that we have put in. You reduce the fruit at times and you increase bountifully. We know, Lord, that all of mankind has fallen into sin and therefore is stained by sin. And we ask, Father, that we would comprehend again the depth of the grace that we have received in Christ. We pray, Father, that from this passage, this wonderful passage here, it would help us 
just grasp even more the sweetness of what it means to be in Jesus. Lord, help us to comprehend the law and all that is in it and the gospel and how it fulfills it. We pray that your name would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we pick up again in Haggai after a couple of weeks off and it, I think it would be helpful just to have a bit of a reminder of what has taken place. Uh, Haggai is speaking to the post-exile Jews. They are the ones that came out of Babylon after being in slavery for uh, around, uh, not slavery, sorry, exiled into Babylon, but they've been there in exile for 70 years. They come back from the charge of a pagan king to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Uh, Cyrus initially sends them back with his own wealth, uh, and then after becoming afraid of man, the Samaritans and, and those around them started to threaten them, uh, got the next king in line to write a letter to warn them to stop building the temple. And instead of fearing God and listening to God, they start to fear man and they stop the work on the temple for 10 to 20 years, depending on who you read. Because of this, God curses the work of their hands because they're Work wasn't centered around the worship of God, which was the temple of God. Without a temple, there is no worship. And without the temple, uh, they went on to work on their own houses, to plant crops, to produce a harvest. And instead of reaping bountifully, which they should have because this land had just been rested for many decades, they brought in little. That was in chapter 1 we saw that judgment upon them. Haggai's message is a message about the right order of our loves, the right order of our work, and the right order of our worship. What we should uh, have as the first fruits of our labors is worship. We offer worship, first of all. Our right order of love is to God. Our right work is worship. And with this flows, uh, and from this message of, of correction to these post-exile Jews, we see then obedience to them, to, to God. Very, very rarely do we find uh, the people listen to a prophet. But here, uh, wonderfully, there is a story where they listen to the prophet, they listen to Haggai, they go and they fear the Lord over the people and they work because God is with them, as it says in the early parts of chapter 2. We also know that Haggai has repeated the phrase deliberately, the Lord of hosts, reminding them that he is a God that surround, that he is a God of angel armies. And even though that they are small, they can take confidence in God who uh, governs the universe and God, the God who protects. In these last two sections, Haggai is going to remind them in, in a way of warning and encouragement of their sinful neglect and his discipline. So he's actually going to recall their sin and recall God's punishment because of that sin, but he's going to finish it with a, uh, a hopefulness of the future. From this day forth, I will bless you, is the final promise in our section today. Uh, that's how he's going to finish it, but before he has to come back and uh, remind them of their sinful neglect of worship, and of the curse, the discipline of God. 
As we look through this passage, we find that this is meant to be an encouragement. This is meant to uplift, to remind us of our sinful failings, like the law reminds us today of our sinful failings, but landing upon the blessing and, of course, the blessing that is fulfilled in Christ. The way we're going to break up this passage is the Lord's uh, established governments, uh, sins leavening of the whole world, the unclean worship of God's people, and a holy Savior. There are four different areas, and we're going to start in, in verse 10, which says, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by, the Haggai, by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. Now the reason we want to stop here is because this is the first time Haggai the prophet is addressing a particular group of people. Uh, up until this point, we have seen the phrase, Haggai spoke to Zerubbabel, the, uh, the, the governor, the son, uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the people. That has been the phrase. He is speaking to everyone because it includes all the people. It includes all of the, uh, the, the authorities that were present. But here, the correction is coming, or, and, and, the, and the encouragement is coming around something that is specific to one established authority of God. And I think it's helpful that we ponder authorities when they come up in Scripture, because they aren't there, uh, they aren't there accidentally. God has deliberately established different authorities. And with how things unfolded over the last few years with COVID, uh, we need to have a good theology of authorities, their limitations, uh, what they are allowed to do, what they aren't allowed to do. And there is no authority, no earthly authority that has absolute control of all things. Not even governors, rulers, politicians, none, no one has absolute authority over all things. And we see this so clearly through God's design as he creates a garden without sin, uh, but he gives one man authority. This is the exception in a sinful place where Adam was not stained by sin. He is given the task of being a prophet, speaking God's word to Eve, a priest mediating between Eve and God, or it would be his family if that got that far, and the kingship role of having dominion over the earth. He was given the threefold Governor, uh, the threefold authorities, and no one else has been given that since. Sin comes into the world, and we need a way of restricting sin. So God establishes these prophet, priests, and kings' roles in Israel in the Mosaic covenant in Egypt, uh, in the wilderness. So we see this is where we finally see God lay out clearly that these are the three roles. And there are certain things that they are allowed to do and aren't allowed to do. You could read this in Deuteronomy. You can read it in Leviticus. So what we see established is that the prophet has control of speaking forth the word of God. The priests are to teach upon the law and what is holy, what is unclean. The king is to rule and judge uh, over uh, sinfulness. He is to praise the good and judge the wicked. The king is not allowed to take the role of the priest or the prophet unless there's an exception. Uh, and the priest is not allowed to take the, the role of the prophet and the king 
Once again, unless there is an exception, we see Samuel. He's a priest. He he takes a prophetic ministry as well. Uh, but a guy like King Saul, he was a king who tried to take a priestly role and offer sacrifices, and God judged him. We see this in one Samuel thirteen. It's important to acknowledge that these authorities, that God has deliberately made it so that no one group of people or one man has authority over every area of God's, uh, God's, God's world. Uh, we see today that there are emperors or rulers or kings or governors, politicians, however it's set up in, in, in whatever given country, they have a particular role. And then we have elders of a church who govern the household of God. And then we have fathers of a household who govern the household of their particular household. It is important that we know how far these roles stretch and what their limitations are. The government cannot take the role of the father and the elders. The elders can't take the role of the government and the father uh, and and, and, and so, so on and so forth. We need to be careful that we stay in our lane, so to speak. We need to make sure that we are doing the task that is set before us. We see this in Timothy. When Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, he tells him in chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, he gives him three little parables of a farmer, of a soldier, not getting involved in civil affairs, of an athlete. What he's saying is be single-minded. Do your task. Don't become, uh, don't run out of your lane. Don't take over from the government. Don't take over from the fathers. They have a job to do. You have a job to do. If you work at your job and call others to do their job, society will flourish, apart from when sin tampers with it. So we see when this is deliberate that Haggai is speaking to the priests because the priest had authority over the law and authority over what is clean and unclean, what is holy, what is common, which we will see as we unpack it. Uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, had no authority over these areas. He would stay out of that. It was not his business. He could not shut down the temple. He could not make sacrifices. He could not declare someone unclean or clean or holy. Uh, he had no authority to do that. And the same is true in our New Testament covenant, New Covenant world, the world we live in today. Uh, there are governors who have control over judging the wicked and praising the good. There are elders who have control over establishing and teaching the church uh, and uh, keeping sin from uh, flourishing in the church, but they don't get to punish sin in the way the government should. They don't get to put someone in prison or whip them. And of course, they don't take the responsibility of the father in the household. They don't go and discipline the, the, the father's children's children. When we see these phrases, we need to start wrestling with how God is teaching us. It's not always, like the New Testament is laid out, it's not always a passage that is clearly laid out. Uh, the New Testament, of course, is wonderful. But we get sucked into thinking that God only speaks in an epistle where it's all very clear. Fathers do this, governments do this, uh, and elders do this. But we have the whole of the Old Testament that teaches us in songs, in prayers, in uh, poetic uh, literature, in narrative, in the law, 
Uh, we see all these different ways that God instructs us. And of course, here in Haggai, we have a way where he instructs those who have authority over a specific thing. So with that background, the specific thing that the uh, priests have a, a, a authority over is the law. And the reason we want to take instruction from that is to have our first work of worship in the Christian home or in the household of God or in this world, we need to make sure that we are doing the right work that we've been given. First of all, worship. And then the second work depends on the roles that we have been given in life, whether that be uh, whether that be as a husband or a wife or a single person or a church elder or, or whatever it may be. So we need to always be thinking about worship first that follows into the roles that God has given us. Well, this question comes to, these two questions come to the priests regarding the law of what is common, what is clean, what is unclean, what is holy. In verse 12 and 13 it says, If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold, notice that, he's not touching it with the meat, he's touching it with his fold, bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. uh, 12 and 13, uh, verses 12 and 13 give us the main point of understanding, uh, of understanding holiness and the opposite to holiness, which is being unclean or uncleanliness in terms of a spiritual relationship to God. Not dirt on our skin, but stained by impurity, defilement because of sin. This, of course, comes under the authority only of the priests. So Haggai is dangerously close to uh, jumping into the priest's lane. But he has a word from God, and his word from God is a correction of the, the, the priest. He's, he's examining whether the priests are fit for their task. Are, are they able to discern what is holy, unclean, common, because that is going to be their job, and then Haggai will step out of that, he will have nothing to do with it. Zechariah will have nothing to do with it. The priests should carry on the role of mediating between God uh, and man. And it's, it's important to understand that in order to come into the assembled worship, one had to be clean. No one could become holy uh, in the Scriptures. You could be uh, temp- ceremonially clean uh, and, and we'd see this in the high priest's ritual as they would clean their body before they would enter into the holy uh, place or the most holy place. Uh, but no one could become clean. In the cycle of Leviticus, it's pretty much unclean. Sacrifices, ceremonial washi- washing, you're now clean. You can come into worship. You go out to live your life. You're bound to become unclean again. It was almost... It was impossible to say to stay clean in the old covenant. It was a reminder of just how bad sin was. It was a reminder that from the fall, sin permeated all of culture. Every man uh, in Genesis 5, in the genealogy, dies, and every man after that dies. We see it so clear uh, that that there is no way of entering in to that worship full place of the holy of holies 
because we could never, ever become holy again. So the first question is about holy things. And the holy, there were certain things that became holy through ceremonial practices, like a sin offering. And a sin offering was offered up because we have sinned. You could do this at any time. Uh, you would come to the priest, you would confess your sin, you would offer up uh, the, the sin offering, and the, the priest would take away a portion for himself. He would take that portion, he would roll it in his garment, the corner of his garment, and he would take it away to eat in the tent of meetings. Uh, and this portion would make his garment holy. And the question was when that garment touched something else, a utensil, a, 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 a utensil or, or wine or bread, would that become holy? And the priests answer rightly and say, no. Holiness was passed on by one degree and one degree only. The flesh of a sin offering was holy and when it touched the garment, it made that as this holy uh, piece of garment, but that garment could never make anything else holy. Holiness stopped spreading because of the sinfulness of the world. Leviticus 6, 25 to 29 speaks of this. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying this, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any, uh, and when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that which it, which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken." But it is, uh, but it is boiled in a bronze vessel, and that shall be scourged uh, and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. So this is where Haggai is picking up from in Leviticus six, and he's examining how well the priests know their job. The question is do they know the importance of holiness still? Do they know that holiness can only come through sinful offering? And that sinful offering is only temporarily holy, according to God's standard. That this meat, while in the flesh, as it's been sacrificed, will then make one thing that it touches holy, but it will not pass that holiness on from that other thing to another. Holiness in the Old Covenant moved only one degree from killed flesh to whatever it touched and no further. In contrast, uncleanness would go from one person to another. The second question is about what is unclean. If someone who is unclean by con uh, con contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Picking up in Numbers 19, 20 to 22, it says, If a man who is unclean does not cleanse himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the assembly, since he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Because the water for impurity has not been thrown on him, he is unclean. And it shall be a statute forever for them. The one who sprinkles the water for impurity shall wash his clothes, 
And the one who touches the water for impurity shall be unclean until evening. And whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And anyone who touches it shall be unclean till evening. By contrast, this ritual defilement was passed on by every single thing it, it contacted. What the law was trying to do was remind us just how contagious sinful defilement was. We see this from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel, from Cain and Abel to Lamech, from Lamech to all the way down to Noah. Noah is, the earth is flooded. And then, of course, his son, Ham, uh, uh, sins. He sins immediately and it keeps permeating. The whole process of clean, unclean and holy was to remind us that holiness had stopped dead at the fall. Holiness had stopped dead at the fall and sinfulness, sinful undefilement has continued on. So what would happen is a man would go out, come in contact with a dead body He was to stay separate for seven days. He would have to clean himself. If he went home and touched his wife, his wife would be unclean. If his wife went and touched their child, their child would be unclean, and so on and so forth. You see that the law is emphasizing very clearly that sinful uh, staining continues on from person to person. Holiness has stopped dead and uncleanliness continues on. And this was the job of the priests. The priests were like guards protecting the holy place and the holy of holies from sinful people coming in. That was their job to determine what was common, what was holy, what was unclean and what was clean. We see this in Leviticus 10.10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the law has spoken to them by Moses. The job of the priests were to stand guard and not allow anything that was unholy and or anyone that was unholy enter into worship of the living God. This is the contagiousness of sin. We cannot approach God in worship. And this brings us to the third point, which is unclean worship. These people were worshipping God in an unclean way. Which is why Haggai the prophet has to come and correct the priests because the priests have not been doing their job by guarding uh, the altar from being misused and they were offering unlawful sacrifices and unworthy worship. Picking up in verse 14, it says, Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hand, And what they offer there is unclean. So the priests have answered, yes, it is unclean for, uh, uh, for, for a person to keep touching something, uh, a dead body and going on and touching. It's contagious. It continues to permeate on. And then Haggai declares, this people is unclean. This nation is unclean. And not only is their nation and uh, uh, the people and nation are unclean, but also their offerings are unclean. So that holy meat that would be sacrificed as a sin offering and the portion cut off and it would make the garment or whatever it touched holy, that was no longer happening because they were would that meat be holy? Only in the way God uh, prescribed would holiness be obtained. Only through the way God ordained would we be able to be cleansed from sin and be able to come in right worship of Him. 
And because of their wrong worship, because of their defilement, and not just defilement, but their defilement in worship, God has cursed their lands. And this is a reminder of chapter 1, of what God had done to them. In verse 15, to uh, so just, just before the end, it says, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to heap up of a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all your products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares Lord, the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundations of the Lord was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the, va- the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So the con- consequences for their failed worship, for their defiled worship, was that all the works of their hand would fail. They went to collect uh, abundance and they brought in little. In chapter 1 it says they were putting mari- uh, money into uh, purses with holes in it. God's judgment upon them was that this land was rested, this land should produce abundantly, and yet they were producing nothing. And the reason being is because they stopped viewing holy things as holy things. Or a better way of saying it is, they stopped considering God as holy. God became trivial to them. God became small to them. God became someone not to be feared uh, above the people, but the people to be feared above Him. There's a quote that I, I used some of in our reading from Wisdom, and it says, Without the fear of the Lord, marriage crumbles or limps along. Education leads to swollen conceit. Money leads to evil. Work leads to frustration. Loss results in depression. Gain results in pride and the list goes on. God really is the glue that holds the life, uh, the good life together. We must see that the fear of the Lord is what these people needed to recover and the fear of the Lord comes from understanding holiness. If we lose the holiness of God, we lose Christianity altogether. If we lose the holiness of God, we lose worship altogether. We see this in uh, chapter 1 where it says they feared the Lord and they went to work. They feared the Lord and they went to work. It's Their obedience was that they came back to fear God rightly. And the priests were responsible for not understanding or not holding, although they knew the letter of the law and they could say, yeah, that's holy or that's not holy and this is unclean. They did not enforce it among the people and the people cast off restraint and the people continued to live in sinfulness. There is an application here for us as the people of God. And I think people don't like the idea that we could still be cursed today. But we do need to examine ourselves when we are under fruitlessness. We need to hold it in tension, of course, because there are times where God uh, causes us to suffer so that we can grow, but we'll get that in a moment. But I want us to think and to be okay with examining our worship 
and the way we hold God and seeing whether our fruitlessness is coming from a wrong or uh, misuse of holiness and the worship of God. At times, we suffer fruitlessness in our lives because we have not reverenced God rightly, like these people. But there are times where we just suffer because God is growing. Hebrews 5, 8 tells us, although he was a son, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. There are times we just suffer because God is teaching us obedience. Jesus was perfectly obedient, yet he suffered to learn obedience. We, at times, will go through all matter of suffering so that God can prove our obedience, so that God will teach us what obedience looks like, looks like in that particular situation. But in everything, whatever our suffering is, without getting bogged down and saying, oh, I'm being cursed, we should ask the question, always be thinking, am I regarding right things as holy? Am I regarding God rightly as holy? Do I hold Christ as holy, as, as the level that the Scriptures hold Him to? And does my worship look like I worship someone holy? We should always be asking that question. Every church, every individual Christian should ponder in their heart how they view the Lord. Is he a genie to you or is he your sovereign ruler? Because from this place, all, all things flow. It's from our connection to the vine and a right understanding of who the vine is that we become holy and grow in holiness. And the final words to the priest is words of encouragement. But from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. This, this people, their descendants, are going to become defiled again. We know that. We know the Pharisees, the Sadducees, we know what the, the people become. These people go on, they rebuild the temple, and then more suffering comes for them, more legalism comes for them, and they become defiled, and their sacrifices become defiled, and Jesus comes in judgment. They lose again what it means to be clean, unclean, common, and holy. Yet then one day, a man who seemed to be common walked into a crowd that was pressing in around him. And Jarius, the ruler of a synagogue, came pleading with him and said, My daughter is laying, she's lying, lying, she's lying sick, she is dying. The crowd pressed even more around this common man. People were touching him from every angle until one touch, power left him. He turned to his followers and said, Someone touch me. And of course they responded, Everyone is touching you. And he knew that power had left him. A woman was in the crowd that day. She was bleeding for 12 years. She was, by definition, unclean. She should not be 
in the crowd. Everything she touched was becoming unclean. Every person she bumped up against should be separated out for a week and not come in to worship of God. But she had one thing in mind. If I just touch the garment of this one man, I will become clean. What made her think that touching the garment of this one man would make her clean? Well, she, unlike the others in the crowd, must have known that the garment was covered, was covering holy meat, holy flesh. Haggai asked the priests and said, Will the fold of this garment make the wine, the bread, and other things holy? And they said, no. But when Jesus came, and the woman grabbed hold of her garment, it said the blood ceased. Isn't that incredible? Christ, who took on human flesh, human meat, clothed himself in human meat, his garment that touches his, his, his body was enough to make an unclean woman clean. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus continues on, walking towards Jairus' house. The girl now lays dead. Her body is lifeless. Jesus walks in and it says, he takes her by the hand and says, child, arise. He touches a dead body. What should happen to Jesus? He should be unclean. He should now be uh, not able to worship anymore the living God. He's not allowed in the temple till he washes himself. Yeah, but when the flesh of Jesus touches a dead body, it becomes clean, becomes alive. The last words that were said to the priest was, from this day on, I will bless you. Well, Jesus came in the most wonderful way of blessing us, in that he takes what is unclean and he doesn't make it clean, he makes it whole. The one thing the sacrificial system could not do was take us from being unclean to holy, always able to worship God, yet Jesus comes in in human flesh, in holy flesh, and his garments, his presence, his words offer to all the ability to go from being stained by sin to being holy. We get to come every day in worship of the living God as holy to Him. Set apart, without blemish, without spot. Christ, His holiness doesn't go from one degree. It just keeps going until His holiness permeates the whole of the world, until He undoes the fall and He causes us to be in the very presence of God again. We see in this wonderful passage of Haggai the great fulfillment in the bleeding woman and Jarius's dead daughter. We see that Jesus, the holy flesh, makes all things or the option for all people to be holy for those who believe in Him and repent of their sins.
we can come, whether we're Jew or Gentile, to Jesus, repent of our sins, believe in Him, and take on His holiness. Never to have to go through rituals of cleansing again. This is the beauty of the Gospel.